Welcome to the Dental Business Podcast with your host and owner of multiple businesses, a mentor, investor, and dental surgeon, Brad Thornton. Hi guys, it's Brad here. Welcome to the Dental Business Podcast. We've got another cracking interview with you uh, for you now. We've got Derek Utenbrook, who is, well, I mean, he's, he's a marketer. He's a, got a marketing company and he tends to specialize in kind of Facebook, Instagram for dentists. Um, really good results. I mean, we've worked with him and we're working with him at the moment on campaigns. And, you know, he just knows everything about how you leverage Facebook and social media for your marketing, for your practices. So take a listen, take notes, get a pad and pen ready because this is packed full of useful tips, information. And yeah, another episode where, you know what, I I feel like I know a reasonable amount, but I've just learned heaps. Man, these interviews are just turning into training sessions for me. So I know you guys are going to pick up absolutely loads. So enjoy. Here is Derek. And here we are with the Dental Business Podcast. Uh, thank you, Derek, for joining us. Um, now, a lot of people are going to know who you are from, from Facebook, and there's quite a few people that talk about Derek, you know, the Facebook guy. Um, but do you want to give people just a little bit of, I don't know, introduction about sort of your history, maybe how you got into working with dentists, and then kind of what, what your business does? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Fine. Well, thank you so much for having me on, on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, so I, I'm actually Dutch by origin. So I was born in Holland, left when I was nine, kind of moved all around the world with my parents and uh, moved to the UK in 2005. And I studied at King's. Um, I had nothing to do with dentistry in terms of my upbringing. I don't have any parents or uncles or family who were dentists. So uh, the profession was completely new to me before I got into it. But how it all started is it, when I was um, 25, I, I left a, quite a well-paid corporate job to start my own business. Uh, and it was a, a tech platform, a crowdfunding platform, basically. And anyway, we, we had a great team and we raised some money and, you know, we kind of ticked all the boxes. But uh, to cut a long story short, we, we didn't really know how to attract customers. Uh, and so everything was fantastic. Like, you know, it's as if we had like a shiny practice with the scanners and an itero. We had this beautiful concept of a business, great board, uh, very experienced board that, that we managed to pull together. Um, but we just, we had no clue how to actually, in a way that was sort of measurable and predictable, get customers for the business. We got press in the FT, we got press in um, you know, the Guardian. We, I did a TV thing on, on CNBC. So we were kind of, what felt like we were pressing all the right buttons, but then we weren't really getting any customers. So uh, anyway, I ended up selling the business, but it was not really, you know, it kind of washed its face and it wasn't that exciting. We were quite lucky that someone came around and wanted to buy our technology. So we managed to kind of escape. But anyway, we, we wouldn't have survived much longer just simply because we, we weren't generating much revenue. And so ever after that experience, I kind of went through this post-mortem of figuring out, okay, this was like the biggest blind spot for us. We had everything ticked off and we thought it was going to work and then, but we didn't know how to scientifically attract customers. So that's how I got into the notion of marketing. And I dabbled in different domains because marketing is like dentistry. There's SEO is very different to Facebook advertising, which is very different to building websites and design. And so um, I kind of went through and learned as much as I could sort of self-taught in, in that regard. And then uh, the beginning of 2017 was actually when I was like, again, I was working uh, as, a, as an IT contractor at a bank and I was like, okay, 
had enough of that. Let me see if I can monetize what I've learned and help businesses attract customers. And our first customer was a dental practice. Um, I knew I wanted to work with an industry where we could make a meaningful difference. Now, difference. Now, of course, we could partner with a hair salon and run Facebook ads, but then the value of a customer who comes in for a blow dry is a lot lower than an Invisalign patient, for example. So we wanted to work with, you know, uh, an industry where the, the patient or the, the customer value is, is, is quite high. So dentistry is what we, we, I guess, set our sights on. And then, you know, once we got a bit of traction, once we figured out how, what makes patients tick, then it becomes much easier to go deeper in that domain rather than spread ourselves very thinly over many industries. So, sorry, it's a slightly long-winded introduction, but now that's what we do day in, day out. I mean, we've worked with over 100 practices, um, all UK-based, although now we're, we're, we're launching with a few practices in Australia as well. Um, and yeah, ortho is probably the biggest part. So we, we, we do a lot of ortho campaigns, a lot of implant campaigns, small makeovers and facial aesthetics. That's kind of what we specialize in, uh, just on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Um, you know, because you're working for an agency, a marketing company that, that people will, you know, obviously they're kind of, I feel as though there's sort of two camps really. There's the, there's the dentist who has no idea and they just say, right, I need somebody to do this for me. And then there's the ones who kind of understand quite a bit themselves mm-hmm. and then feel that they need to use somebody to help them do the bit of refinement or the, the extra bit or, or something that, that maybe they can't find time for or they don't have quite the expertise because obviously you have a lot of expertise with this. Um, for the dentists that are kind of doing it themselves at the moment and maybe um, are kind of getting to the point where they're trying to figure things out and they might not be ready to come to you guys or to any agency. Um, I'm just wondering, I'd like to kind of go over some things because there's going to be people that are listening that aren't ready to work with a marketing agency yet. Sure, yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, do you think that that first type of dentist who has no idea and says, right, I want to get someone to do this for me. Do you feel that that's the right first step? Or do you think the first step should always be learn a bit yourself and sort of kind of get to grips with it a bit yourself and then um, reach out to someone? What's your thoughts on that? So to be honest, I think it it could go both ways because some people have absolutely no interest in knowing how it works and they want to find a trusted person to just give them the keys and off you go, you do what you got to do. And that's it. And so we we have clients like that that are very hands off. And sometimes we ask them, we give them some options and we say, you know, we should consider this, but that they're like, yeah, it's fine. Do what you got to do. We trust you. Like just run with it. Other people, they want to be a lot closer to the detail. They want to understand. I think it's important as a business owner. I think it's important to understand the different types of marketing you can do both internally and externally. And, and I'd be the first to admit that word of mouth and referrals are going to be your best sources of patience, hands down. So my advice would always be to try and really uh, exhaust those channels before looking externally, because sometimes what you end up with is you end up with a practice that has a problem and they want to throw money at the problem. And that's not always the right thing to do. It's better to have a solid uh, team in place. It's better to have, to, to really try and mine your existing patient base for treatment, to have a good word of mouth referral scheme in place, to have a good patient journey, to make sure you're able to actually uh, I kind of hate this term, but to convert patients, um, yeah. what's in your chair? Because Facebook and Instagram marketing will solve a problem. Uh, it can get you more bums into your chair, but if everything after that is broken, then there, there's no point. So we work with both. I mean, I think the single most important thing with any, any kind of advertising really is understanding the psychology of the person that you're attracting. And 
so dentists have this this have it lucky in the sense that okay there's many domains in which dentists are unlucky uh and it's a challenging <laughs> time but you have it lucky in the sense that you know you can get referrals from colleagues and you don't have to pay for that any other kind of person you're not allowed to pay for but any other in any other, other industry you know there's commissions and this and that so you know you're getting vetted qualified patients coming through from from colleagues a few miles away because they don't offer a specific treatment and so sometimes practices have like a jaded view of, of the world and they kind of have this assumption that people when when they come in that they're sort of ready to buy and ready to go ahead and you know that's because we have nhs patients and so taking up private treatment we have uh, referrals from other gdps we have word of mouth referrals now all those sources of inquiries are more or less ready to go ahead with treatment by the time they even reach out to you same with website inquiries if someone types in you know um teeth straightening leads and they end up on your website. They, they'll have a nose around your fee section. They'll look at your before and afters. And they'll say, okay, you know what? I think I'm ready to go have a conversation with Brad. And then they'll reach out to you. So you get this narrow view of, of, the, of the percentage of people that are ready to buy. Now, with any kind of outbound marketing, and this is not just Facebook ads or Instagram or anything else. It includes radio, flyer drops, everything else. Um, if you're going out to a large audience on like a one-to-many basis with a campaign like that, you're going to pick up people who are ready to buy, but you're also going to pick up people who are wondering what Invisalign is. They've heard about it. Uh, they've seen they've seen it in the Billy Eilish video, and they just video, and they just want some more information. So, context is the single most important thing, um, and we always try to whether the principal wants to know the details of the click through rates and what cost per lead or not. Understanding that context piece is the single most important thing. And to be honest, I probably spend more time dissuading people to do Facebook and Instagram ads than I do persuading people because it's not right for everyone. Um, and we need to get those building blocks correct in terms of understanding, yeah. okay, this is not going to be turning on a tap and you're going to get cases coming through. It's a different yeah. ball game. You have to handhold them. You have to nurture them. You have to filter and qualify them. You're essentially running a, a, a quote unquote sales process where you're generating leads and you have to qualify them and filter them and see who's right and, and, and ready to go ahead. So that's, it's not really an easy answer to your question, um, but that's kind of the most important thing before anything, uh, for sure. Yeah, I think um, you touched on something that I, I talk about occasionally, if anyone listens. Um, but it's the, uh, <laughs> this idea that you know everyone always finds marketing quite sexy. They think, right, yeah, you know what, we need to improve the, the sort of, uh, the, what's the word? We'd want to try and improve the practice. We want to try and increase revenue. We want to do all this stuff, so we're going to market. But if you don't, um, I talk about the first step being control, control of your finances, the control of staff, control of service. So you, you know your numbers, you know what your budgets are, you know what your ins and outs, whatever. And then, you know, you control your staff so you understand and know their productivity, that they're doing the job right. Um, and then you know that your service is right. Because if, if any of those are wrong and you start marketing, especially through, like you said, Facebook, and you try an aggressive marketing campaign, throw a lot of money at it, then people start making inquiries, start ringing the front desk and they're not handled correctly or they, they kind of come into the practice and they, you know, you don't like the word, um, what was it, convert, I don't like the word journey, but it's the best way to describe it. Like, you know, their journey isn't right. So your chances of getting that patient to go ahead with treatment are a lot lower because all the other bits aren't in, in place. And I do think that's overlooked sometimes, especially when you're in surgery and you're wanting to try and build a business and you're thinking, right, we need to market. Um, so, yeah, it's good that you say that because I think sometimes 
I think, I, you know what, actually, I say nowadays, I do get the feeling that more marketing people who are, who are all about marketing are starting to focus on that. I know you guys, because I work with you, um, and your team, they always make sure that we've got, you know, the, you know we're updating the, the spreadsheet about where, where they are, what we're doing. They want to know kind of where the patients are within the process. So it's easy to analyze whether or not it's working and whether you're doing things after the marketing and whether that part's working because it's important yes. not to forget that. No, absolutely. And, and that's huge. And so, I mean, we, the way we started, I mean, uh, my business is not that old. I mean, I started in the beginning of 2017, uh, but when we, quite in the early days, we were working with a practice and we were getting them inquiries and, you know, cost per lead was good, all that kind of stuff. We were working with another practice, very similar demographic, similar type of area getting similar results. One practice was very happy and they said, this is great, we're getting lots of cases, blah, 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 happy days. The other practice was like, well, no one's showing up and people are time wasters and tire kickers and, and, and you know, that sort of thing. Um, and we, we couldn't figure out what, what the deal was because we were both very similar types of private practices. And so it was at that point where uh, my wife at the time actually also works in the company. We've got a bigger team now though, but we, we, we agreed that we would take over the follow-up ourselves for the practices. So we told them, listen, Give us your password to your to SOE, uh, remote access or whatever, um, and we will ring the patients for you, and we will get them booked in. Uh, we did it for both practices, and so that for us was a huge eye opener because there's always this gap that we all talk about between marketers and dentists, where the marketer says, "Yeah, we got your leads," and then the dentist is like, "Well, but yes, but where are my patients?" Um, and so we really tried to bridge that gap because we realized that actually generating a lead is one thing, but then getting that lead into the dental chair is another thing entirely. And unless we, we found that unless we actively monitor that, that, and, you know, handhold the practice in doing that, then quite often, more often than not, we're not going to be working with the practice for very long. And so, and that's especially the case. I mean, it's different with different practices. If you've got a six surgery NHS practice who turns out, you know, a thousand UDAs a day, then uh, that's even more so the case. Um, but it's, it, it, you know, because maybe they're slightly less commercially minded and, less used to having to fight for the business but it's that's so important and so it was that really which taught us a lot about how to follow up with leads and then we started testing stuff so texting versus emailing and uh writing a messenger versus voicemails and different times of the day and ringing from a landline versus a mobile and seeing what, what the answer rates are and you know none of it is rocket science um as as many people like to like to use the <laughs> phrase but it, it, it's not rocket science but it's little things that that can make a big difference so Certain times of the week, we, our tests have shown that um, for Invisalign patients or, 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 or teeth straightening uh, leads, your answer rate by ringing the patient is going to be almost twice as high if you ring from a mobile than if you ring from a landline. So even that in itself means by virtue of that, the idea is that you can probably get up to twice as many people in your chair. So that's not a, using a different phone is not a complicated thing to do. Um, so it's, it's little things like that. Once you stack them up, against each other yeah they can make a huge impact um so yeah that, that's kind of where we try to fill the gap and as marketers we always want to automate everything and make it seamless but actually we've really held firm on that and said you know what the best way to get a patient into your chair is to have a personal connection with that person to start building rapport from the get-go uh and to just treat them as a person because they're going to buy from a person they're going to buy a treatment from someone they yeah. trust and know and so if they just get a bombard like a flood of automated texts and emails it's you're going to lose a lot of people yeah and, and, and i'm assuming you know you're finding that 
text messages and mobile phone calls and Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, they're really the, the best ways to, to get hold of people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the best way, uh, hands down. So for a lot has changed, obviously, with lockdown, we, we run a lot of video consults, so they're slightly different. In, in, I guess you would have seen both. But um, before lockdown, we used to try and push people into Facebook Messenger so that at least the practice has a, a channel to be able to follow up with, with the patient. Uh, and, it, and, you know, if we're advertising on Facebook and Instagram, we know that the patient has Facebook and Instagram on their phone. And so by following up with them via Messenger, it's quite low friction. Uh, whereas if you're trying to ring them and be voicemail, send emails, then you're using a different channel to oh. the medium, like different, a channel different, that's different to which we use to attract them in the first place. So then again, inherently there's friction in that. So yeah, before lockdown, it was driving everyone into Facebook Messenger at the end of our, uh, once we generated the, the lead. Uh, now we, we get people to book straight in and, and text messaging tends to work the best in the absence of Messenger because we don't use Messenger much. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I, uh, one of my uh, nurses, always my manager, she was saying, we were talking about this, and her hus uh, partner, uh, future husband, I guess, he, if he makes an inquiry to a company, he will not respond, or at least it's, if he finds extremely uh, poor form, if they respond back via a different medium. So if he email inquiries, but they ring him, it really frustrates him because he expects him to email them back. Um, I mean, I think he goes a little bit over the top with it, but what you've said that makes sense, you know, if, if, if somebody has an email inquiry, probably the, you know, that's what they feel is the most appropriate way to, to communicate with you. So if you do the same, then, then that's quite a good thing to do, isn't it? That's actually a really good point. Um, I'm going yeah. to write that down, actually. No, I, I, I think it's true. And, and um, funnily enough, there's, I can't remember what the stats are exactly, but there's, I think it's like 90, 80 or 90% of, of, of people, this is a general study, but uh, 80 or 90% of people will buy from the first company that responds. So if, let's say on the weekend, they just send out a bunch of inquiries. Now, this is probably for more routine things like, um, I don't know, plumber or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's been tested specifically for healthcare. But um, let's say on a Sunday, people send out a bunch of emails to locksmiths or plumbers. Uh, 80 or 90% will buy from the first company that responds. And so, you know, if you take that out of that domain and apply that to dentistry, if someone goes on to the find the doctor section of the Align website, the, the Invisalign website, they allow you to send your inquiry to up to three or four um, practices in one go. Like, you know, it's like on Zoopla when you, yeah. when you, when you tick the agents and you, you send your details off to them. So, you know, on that basis, if, if 80 or 90% are, are minded to buy from the first practice that responds, then it just shows how, how important speed of follow-up is and how you follow up and yeah you know what especially for things like Invisalign we're, we're going to be targeting women between 20 and 40 maybe 20 and 50 most of them are busy and don't like talking on the phone either they're going to be at work or they might be with kids at home juggling things I mean you know what it's like to have two kids it's you know, how often do you get the chance to take a phone call for more than a few minutes so for sure um, text messaging is huge and actually the more personalized the better so we work with a few associates and sometimes the conversion rates are even better because they're texting the person that they're going to see in the practice yeah. from the get-go. And sometimes we send an automated text from the associate's mobile to the patient five minutes after they inquire. So it's like, Hey Brad, it's Derek here from, you know, happy smiles. Thanks for your inquiry. Yeah. When's a good time to talk? And then it, the, the patient really feels like uh, yeah. they're getting one-to-one -one attention basically. Brilliant. Um, now, I'd like to kind of 
step out of the sort of paid marketing arena and just just go through a few things whether you can just give some advice because obviously the social media networks they're providing a, a platform for you to engage your audience to engage prospective patients existing patients um through sort of organic things and organic posts um, so I'm just wondering, what if have you got any tips? Because obviously you're doing paid marketing, so a lot of what you do sure. is highly analysed, and you're reviewing and monitoring and testing. Now, there's an assumption, isn't there, where, that Facebook prefers video over photo, prefers live video over uploaded video. Um, yeah. No, is that what you find? Then are you finding that there's definitely more engagement, more people pay attention and it reaches more people if you focus on the type of where you post? Yes, definitely for organic, for sure. So for paid, video is marginally better, although it can be more expensive to show video ads um, than photo ads. But definitely for the organic, unpaid uh, side of social media, video, it's exactly that. So photo, so back in the day, if you remember Facebook, maybe five, six years ago, it was all text and images. And then it quite quickly evolved to being primarily video now. And so definitely video will outrank a photo and live will outrank a non-live um, video for sure. Um, Facebook, I mean, it's constantly evolving, but in terms of where to put your efforts, um, well, first of all, actually on that. So the types of content, you know, whether video or whether photo or whether live, the best content is the stuff that's real and authentic. So it's your, it's not your polished stock image type stuff because we, we as a human race have become exceptionally good at ignoring advertising. Uh, we see about 5,000 ads in a day. And so, but if I ask you, how many do you remember? You could probably not even count five. And so, or maybe you can, I don't know, but I can. Um, so we, our subconscious decides whether or not we pay attention to something um it, it's kind of system one system two i don't know if you've read much on the the behavioral economic side of things yeah. the kahneman side of stuff but uh, our subconscious basically decides whether we pay attention to not uh, to something or not so even in in my field of vision like i'm only looking at you but my subconscious is picking up what's in the periphery and so if something th- if there's something over there that my subconscious thinks needs my attention that's when it'll tell my conscious to look at it so um uh, back to my point what works better is this stuff that's natural and real and authentic not the polished stuff because our subconscious just wipes that out whereas the real pictures the selfies the the patient with the invisalign bag as much as people hate it that's the stuff that catches attention the stuff that looks the most native on social media is what works the best like we don't you know the stuff that people look at and stop when they're scrolling on the newsfeed the stuff they stop at is is the real pictures of their friends of whatever whoever they've got on facebook so if you can emulate that with your dental practice photos they're more likely to stop um and that's the biggest challenge to start with is to get someone's attention and then once you overcome that hurdle you can get them to read the ad or the post and then get them to take an action off the back of them so real images are by far the best and videos again subconsciously um our our vision and attention is attracted to human faces this has been tested in hundreds of experiments and it's proven we will always look at a human face over anything else so try and use real people from the practice um something you touched on then when you mentioned the uh, the thing that people stop at when they scroll is like friends and things um you know facebook made a move towards making it so that people saw friends family more than business and companies so um 
I heard, I don't know what, what the percentage was that even, you know, me, I, we've got, you know, nearly 3000 people that like the, the practice Facebook page. My posts will only be shown to a very small percentage of those people. By the way, this is me trying to pick your brain. So it's quite a good um, idea then to do a podcast actually, because then you can invite all the experts on different domains in, and then you can build this super practice. Yeah, yeah. Super see, I'm, getting, I'm just getting free training. <laughs> I'm not recording this. I'm, I'm lying to you. No, I'm <laughs> so yeah, so you've got, you know, you've got a, a limited number of people that Facebook are going to show things. That was an algorithm. It's automated and it's all by relevance and, and kind of interest and, that kind of initial engagement, isn't it? So if, if you post something and, and Facebook sees that immediately a few, quite a lot of people have liked it or looked at it, then it's going to start showing it to more people. So the content that you produce is really, really important that it actually engages whoever's looking at it. Absolutely. And, and it's, you have literally like a split second to, for it to like, get someone's attention or not. But you're right. I mean, the quicker someone engages with it and the more people that do it in a short period of time after posting it, the better the post will, 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 will do. But you know, seven, eight years ago, if you had 3000 followers on your Facebook page, you'd be able to get your content in front of a large chunk of those people. Um, you know, much like, I guess, more so on Instagram today, that's still possible to some degree. Facebook, it's not. I mean, Facebook, it's, it's and it's partially an inventory thing. So, you know, if, if I'm a Facebook user and I'm following 100 pages and there's a, another 100 pages in my local area that I might see stuff from, there's only so much content that they can show yeah. me on my newsfeed. And mm. so Facebook oh. wants to retain its user base. So if they just, if they slam my newsfeed full of dental practice stuff, then I'm not going to use Facebook for very long. But if they show my friends and stuff, then I'll, I'll be more engaged. So they have to walk this fine line. And also people call uh, Facebook a social media platform, but at the end of the day, it's an advertising platform. And so, you know, you get loads of users using it then you get loads of business using it, businesses using it. And then you tell the businesses that from this point onwards, they need to pay to play. And that's essentially yeah. what they've done. And so, you know, Facebook is also trying to make it easier for people to advertise and spend money with them by introducing the boost, the boost button uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. They'll nudge you every, every now and again saying, hey, this post is doing better than 95% of your other posts. Click here to yeah. throw a bunch of money at it. So, uh, yeah, the way Instagram is going is, is, is the same way as Facebook. There was an algorithm change, I think, last May. Uh, it's already getting harder and harder. And so there's a lot of, you know, uh, dentists on, on Instagram with, with large followings and they've done incredibly well and they continue to do incredibly well from it. Now people might have different opinions on the Instagram generation and all that, but I'm, I, I'm all for it. And I, 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 I like the hustle, right? I, especially associates who are just taking charge of their own careers by getting their own, doing their own marketing. But I'm not convinced that if I start today as an associate and start building up my profile, I'm not convinced I can still get to 15, 20, 25,000 followers that easily anymore i think it's a lot harder now TikTok definitely um yeah. definitely that's still possible but on instagram i don't think it's possible anymore it's very much going the same way as facebook um they've integrated the ad platform in the back end so it's it's really just two faces of the same company now um so yeah i think the attention is shifting and it's moving yeah um and it, you know that's right. I mean, I remember when Facebook was, uh, it might have been when they were going public and it was like, right, they've never made a profit or they've, they don't know how they're going to monetize. And there was this question mark about how something that was deemed to be so valuable, where the, well, where the value was. Um, I might got my times wrong. And now you look at it and it's like, it's so easy for them to monetize because you're right, you know, they just, they just, 
to try everything they can to just flick you over and just pay. You mentioned about the boost button. Um, one of the things yeah. I was going to ask was, you know, what do you feel is the difference between boosting and having an actual ad account? Sort of the benefits of the, the difference between those? Yeah, it's a great question. So basically, the boost button is a simplified interface to the full Facebook ad manager. And they did it because if you open it, if, if, if you're completely new to advertising and completely new to Facebook, if you open an ad account in the Facebook ad manager, it's pretty, it can be pretty overwhelming. Um, there's a lot of options, a lot of buttons, you know, it's like walking into a cockpit of a 747. Of course, if you know how to use it, it's not that complicated, but it can be quite overwhelming. And so they, I think they probably realized quite quickly that user adoption, especially for small businesses who might not have dedicated media buying teams, would be low unless they made it easier. And so the boost post button does just that. It, it makes it easier, but because it's more simple, it's more streamlined, it's more like a, like a tutorial almost, it handholds you step-by-step, step. it's more limited. So the, the main differences are one, the objective which is used. So on Facebook, you have many different object, uh, objectives you can use, you can do lead generation, you can, you can optimize to, if you're an e-commerce business, you can optimize for people buying your stuff, uh, you can, um, just focus on trying to get like physical people, like footfall to your store. If you're a retailer, uh, you can, there's lots of different things you can do. Um, the boost button is attached to the engagement objective. Now, what that means is when you boost your posts, Facebook is going to show your post to people who are most likely to like comment and share, um, on the post. And so that's fine from a vanity point of view. It's nice to get a bunch of likes and comments and shares, but it's not necessarily the best objective to get to generate inquiries for specific treatments. So that's the biggest drawback of boosting posts. The second drawback is that the targeting options are more limited. Um, so you can't be as refined in your targeting. And finally, um, with the ad manager, you have a bit more control over how the headline is displayed and when the button next to the headline, the call to action, you have a bit more uh, control. Now, when most people boost a post, they'll say, you know, they'll put the website address in, in the text or they'll put the phone number or the email address. And so if you put all those things in there, first of all, if you ask people to do three things, they're probably more likely to do zero things. But if you ask them to do one thing, then they'll, you know, and yeah. the classic name funnel, of course, you're trying to funnel people down a path. And so um, you can't track it. So, you know, if you spend 500 pounds on a boosted post in, in August and you get 34 comments and a hundred likes and five shares and, how do you know if someone's emailed you or called you or gone to your website? You can't track that. So those are the biggest limitations. So it, it's kind of like using a boost post button. It can work and people do get results sometimes, but I, I boost all of my posts. So there's a place for it, but I do it just to create brand awareness amongst dentists for the services we offer. I don't yeah. expect that people are going to click on it and then book a call with me or click on it and then, you know, buy a service from me. I do it just to get my post in front of people and to get people engaging with it. And it's just purely a brand awareness play. And I yeah. spend a decent amount of money on, on that every month. I spend about six or 700 pounds um, just boosting. And yeah. uh, it creates great brand awareness, you know, to a point where even if someone isn't in one of the Facebook groups that maybe I'm more vocal, sometimes they might've heard of who we are and they would have seen some video and they, they might not be able to call exactly where it was. Um, but they'll, you know, that, trust element is there from the get-go and yeah. so that's what what i use it for um but i wouldn't expect it to be able to do much more than that if that makes sense 
Yeah, what was it? Google said that it was um, people are ready to buy after, was it 11 interactions, seven hours in three locations or something. So if you're boosting and you're kind of getting into people's, you're, 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 you're talk, like talk, um, totting up that time and, you know, they've seen you in a few places and they recognise you, they feel as though that, that social proof's building up, isn't it? So the, it is exactly, trust yeah. that you yeah and, and um, you know what that's actually and we boost all of our so we put a decent amount of effort into our sort of social media uh but we have the same problem that a dentist practice has insofar that unless i put a bit of money behind my posts no one's going to see it the dentists aren't going to see it right because it's exactly the same problem that you guys have so that's why i boost every single post and and the net effect of that is that not only are all of my followers seeing all of my posts but also people who don't follow me see my posts and so what i'm trying to i guess emulate is that if there's a dentist in rural Lincolnshire who doesn't know who I am, I want them to see anywhere from two to five pieces of content from me every week, different pieces of content, so that they think, oh, who is this guy? Damn, he's turning out a lot of useful content. Let me start following yeah. them and so forth. So that's how I use Boosted Posts. So they have a place, but get, getting bums in seats is not really the, the forte of, of um, Boosted Posts. Um, and you mentioned about targeting as well. So when you, when you do your sort of campaigns are you because in dentistry we, we are lucky as well that we tend to have an idea because we've got our dental software who the typical patients would be for certain treatments and um, so you're looking at whenever you're doing anything marketing that you're putting money behind and you're sort of pushing an ad into someone's face you want it to be as specific as possible you want to target it as best you can to, to ideal patient is that kind of what you're looking for yeah, so yes and no. So on Facebook, there's different ways to, to target, basically. So you can target through the ad manager, and you can target based on interests and demographics and gender and age and location and all that stuff. Um, and then, of course, you can also target by virtue of what you write in the ad and the images you're using. So for if, for example, we're running an implant campaign and we're using a picture of an 18-year-old girl, woman, that's not going to resonate with the audience. So that's also a way to, I guess, target, right? Because uh, you're filtering out people that, you don't want by virtue of the creatives you're using. So Facebook as a rule of thumb tends to work better with larger audiences. Um, so a lot of uh, times people will set up an ad, dentists will set up an ad and they'll type in a huge list of interests saying, you know, I'm, I want people who are interested in cosmetic dentistry and teeth whitening and this and that. And I want only rich patients. So I'm going to do Chanel and this and this. And so Facebook, then you're choking Facebook because you're not giving them enough space to let the algorithm optimize the ads for you facebook is very smart it's it's kind of like flying a boeing you know you know what you're doing but the autopilot is very very helpful as well so facebook is quite smart that way uh, and so if you restrict facebook too much you're not going to get good results and dental practices are already limited by way by virtue of their location so you know if you're based in uh, birmingham you're not going to go much more than about five six miles out um because someone from i don't know um Northampton isn't going to come to you. So that's kind of, so you're already limited by virtue of who you can target geographically. And so we tend to go quite wide on the age targeting and interest and stuff, because then we're giving Facebook the space to optimize. Um, Facebook is very smart. And if we use the right objective, we use the conversion objective. Uh, we basically, we, we tell Facebook, show this ad to the people within these parameters. So female in this area, these age brackets that you think it's are most likely going to be interested in booking a video consultation at this practice, more or less. And Facebook is quite good at that. Um, so people get hung up on the targeting, but targeting is more relevant for national brands. 
So yeah. sadly, Smile Direct Club uh, would probably use a lot of targeting because they're nationwide, or at least they're doing quite big, um, big areas probably. Uh, E-commerce websites, same. Uh, they would be um, they would use a lot of interest targeting as well. But for dental practices, you can keep it quite broad. Right. So you're saying that um, if you because obviously if you're national, so your location, the the population size is much bigger. So you can be more targeted with the characteristics or you know the demographic side, uh, you know age and and everything the patient, whoever that person is, because your population size is much bigger. Whereas yeah. in dental practice, the population size is much reduced. So if you're too targeted with the type of person, you just don't have as many to choose from. Exactly. Um, and then you use your ad copy to your ad copy and what you're saying and your imagery to filter people out. So you know if you um, uh, let's say you just want to target people who let's say you're running an all on four campaign then you might in your ad copy you might talk about like wobbly dentures uh for example as being the key pain point there and by virtue of saying that you're going to filter out people who don't have dentures and so they stop breathing um so th so that's kind of yeah and you know i i use interest a lot of interest in my targeting because i'm targeting thirty thousand odd dental professionals in the uk now, if I go nationwide and if I don't target, then everyone's going to see my ads. So I do very specific things like people who are interested in Strowman and people who are interested in Henry Shine and all the dental brands because, you know, only dentists are going to be interested in that. So yeah. that's how I narrow down my, my audience. And, um, yeah, so that's quite interesting because if you're doing a conversion, if you're sort of the objective is conversion, do you pay at the point that someone clicks on the ad and then does that next stage? Is that when you pay for it? No. So, so Facebook ads are typically almost always charged by uh, what's called CPM. So cost per meal, which is the cost per thousand impressions. So you pay for every thousand. Well, you pay every time your ad is shown, but it's measured by virtue of how much it costs to show your ad to a thousand people. Right. So that's it. you pay per impression basically. Uh, and so, you know, if your ad is not that exciting and your imagery is not that exciting and your headline isn't great and you don't have a good call to action, then you're going to be paying a lot for one click or for one lead because the ad is not great. On the flip side, if you have a really good offer and a really good image and it really gels with the audience you're targeting. So there's my, you're going to get some of, of my toddler on the, the podcast as well. Um, no, no, then, <laughs> Then you, then a lot of people click for it, uh, click on the ad yeah. and, and, and convert it. That makes sense. So it's it's different to Google. Google you pay per click, but with Facebook there's also an auction mechanism. But we're bidding for screen real estate in people's news feeds, if that makes sense, rather than yeah. click. And and the point at which Facebook starts to learn though is the point at which somebody would click on it then because they go right. Well, this person is even more interested than anybody else, and they're learning. They the algorithm would then say right. Let's show it to more people like this because they're the type of person who is yes, going to be exactly. most engaged. Right, okay. That's interesting. Definitely. I mean, so Facebook, as long as you use the Facebook Pixel, which is I mean, for, for the benefit of people who aren't aware, the Facebook Pixel is like a, a bit of code that you stick onto your website. Uh, it's a, a cookie, a web cookie. And so when someone clicks on your ad and they go to your website or to a landing page, the cookie will tell Facebook, okay, the guy who just clicked on the ad he's now gotten to the landing page. So you're right. And that informs the algorithm, but it starts much earlier than that because there are many ways to interact with an ad before you even click on it. Because when I'm scrolling on my newsfeed, even if I slow down the velocity of my scrolling, Facebook is going to know that potentially something has caught piqued my interest there and that I'm 
slowly scrolling. Right. And so then that's going to feed into, okay, this kind of person is more engaged with this ad than the other type of people. Right. So it starts much earlier. And then of course, clicking on the ad, ads often have like a read more bit. Like, so the ad is kind of cut off and then people click read more. So they pick that up too. There's a lot. Uh, Facebook, yeah. yeah, but you know what? A lot of people say, oh, Facebook's been listening to me because I was talking to my wife about, you know, taking uh, our dog to the, you know, dog grooming salon and all of a sudden I've got an ad. Um, you know, Facebook doesn't listen, uh, but they, they're very smart and sophisticated. They, they harvest yeah. a lot of data um, about how people use Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and also, of course, every single website which has a Facebook pixel on it feeds your behavior back to Facebook. And so even if you're just going on to, you know, doggroomingforyou.com and you browse around, if there's a pixel there, then that will be associated with your, that browsing behavior will be associated with your, with your Facebook profile. Um, I just want to talk quickly about testing as well, because you mentioned how people might put absolutely loads of different interests down. They might, um, you know, you know, be, be overly targeted. But I suppose as well, if you're, if you're running ads and you're wanting to kind of see which, which is working and maybe which isn't, if you've got too many variables in there, it's going to be quite difficult for you to figure out which bit is the bit that's working, isn't it? So you try and reduce that for that as well. Yes, absolutely. So how many variables you can test is a function of how, what your budget is. Um, and so the bigger your budget, the more you can test simultaneously, but you want, if you're testing something, you want to, you want to do it in, um, in proper conditions and you want to make sure that if you're testing something that you, that is statistically significant. So you don't want to have one ad with one headline and one picture and another ad with one, like with another headline and another picture, you should either try the pictures or the headlines or whatever. And so if you try to test too much, you're not going to get meaningful results and Facebook, Facebook won't let you, um, it'll struggle to optimize for you because, you know, especially with local businesses like dental practices, you're not going to be spending hundreds of pounds a day um, on your ads. And so you're limited in how much you can test. I mean, with most practices, we start off with anywhere from two to five. Um, we always start off with one, one ad, one headline, one ad copy. We try three or four different images, sometimes more, sometimes less. We figure out what's resonating in the local area. If we're not getting any good results or we're not satisfied with the results, then we'll change the ad copy and we'll try that with those pictures. And then we just iterate that way. Um, yeah, I mean, large national brands and e-commerce sites that they, they, you know, s sometimes people spend more than a thousand pounds a day on Facebook ads. And so then you can run a lot of AB tests. Of course, you can also test your landing page. Uh, so you can test different headlines in your landing page. So you need to be careful. Like you said, you really need to isolate the bit that you're testing and then do it meaningfully rather than trying getting overexcited and, and, and doing lots of multivariate tests and stuff. Um, so as a sort of takeaway from all of that last section, really, because um, I think if, if for the audience, the people that are listening with that, um, what I've got from that is that really um, Facebook's intelligent, the algorithm enables it to learn. Um, if you're working as a dental practice with a limited population, try to maybe have your targeting within the ad a little bit more broad, maybe have a couple of things that, um, that are relevant, you know, in terms of age, gender, uh, maybe something, but really harness the power of the ad copy and the photo as a way to actually target the audience because you're, you're generating the ad that's going to appeal to the person that you're trying to attract. And you can't let exactly. Facebook, Facebook do the rest for you. Exactly. That's exactly it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, to boil it down from the techno babble, you're absolutely right. So with 
let's take let's take Invisalign as an example, right? If we just walk through a concrete example, um, your, your your audience is going to be women between twenty and forty, more or less. Uh, sometimes males, but we find that women convert better on Facebook and Instagram, and we get the same feedback from in surgery. And we find that often women will take their boyfriends or partners or brothers or whatever along, and they will nudge that decision. So we usually start with females between twenty and forty. We only advertise on the newsfeed. So we don't, there's lots of places to advertise on Facebook, but for these kinds of campaigns, we just target the newsfeed because you get the most screen real estate. Um, we, we target, a, a, it depends on where you are. If you're city center, you're gonna wanna have quite a tight radius because you know, in London, for example, I live in Northwest London and West Hampstead. You know, I'm not gonna go much further than say Notting Hill for my Invisalign reviews. So, and that's probably less than a couple of miles away. So keep it quite tight. Uh, in London, definitely you could get away with just a mile or two miles around the practice. Um, in more rural areas, you can go a little bit wider. Um, you want to make sure that when you're setting the, when you're doing the targeting, you want to make sure that the Facebook will show you how many people are in your radius that meet your criteria. So if you're targeting women between 20 and 40 within a five mile radius, your practice, for example, you want to make sure that the number is at least sort of 50, 60,000 and no more than about 150,000. So even in your, in your case, you're not going to be targeting people from the other side of needs because well, it's going to be a headache for them to get to you. And you know, the further you go, the more friction it is to get someone to your practice. So you've got to, you've got to weigh that in mind. So that's the targeting. Um, in the ad itself, a lot of people will say, oh, you know what? We're, we're doing a bit of marketing. Why don't we do a special offer? That's the wrong thing to do. First of all, I mean, we, we don't need to talk about the fact that it's a race to the bottom and that you know, dentists should charge what they're worth. I do believe in that. I know it's a challenging time and it's definitely not getting any easier. Um, don't focus on the special offer because that comes across as presumptive. If you go out and you, you run ads saying get 500 pounds off Invisalign and free whitening and retainers, that comes across like, you know, hey, you don't know who I am, but you're ready to buy and you know, we'll be nice and we'll give you 500 pounds off. That is not the right mentality to, to go out to Facebook and Instagram audiences with. Instead, just offer a free consultation. For the right kind of person, that's enough. Uh, it's valuable enough to get their attention and to get them excited and to get their details and get them booked in. You don't really need to throw all your, uh, all your, 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 your um, bits in there. You can save that for the consultation. If you think they're on the fence, then let them know that you offer whitening free of charge and maybe that will... You know, so, so don't give all your eggs away. Um, and so that's that. Free consultation is enough. Focus on that uh, and building value around that because for the right person, you know, being able to talk to an expert about achieving their smile goal is, is valuable enough. Don't get too hung up on the practice and the fact that it's family owned and the fact that you have an iTero because to be honest, most people don't care that much. Focus more on what you can do for them and the outcome you can help them achieve. Maybe take snippets from your existing patients, little quotes or little testimonials. And just focus on that that test um, that 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 consultation, uh, and then at the end of that, for, put a strong call to action in. You know, click book now to get booked in, or there's only a limited number of appointments available. You know, click sign up now to get started, um, and that's really the, the the main way to do it. Now, of course, pictures we've talked about. Use a real picture. It could even be a selfie. It could be a, a picture of the team on an outing. It could be a picture of an Invisalign open day. It could be a picture of you with your iTero. Um, anything like that, but if it's you, it's, it's better. Um, because to be honest, the patient journey to use a word, which you hate starts on Facebook, not in the practice. And so if they see the person on Facebook that they're going to see in surgery, then you're putting less emphasis on that 30 minute slot. You're seeing them to build that trust and rapport because they'll, they'll recognize you already. They'll know who you are.
So that's, to be honest, like a, like a 30,000 foot view of how those campaigns should be run. Uh, leave the, the targeting quite open and um, yeah, and, and then you'll be fine. Um, you, a couple of things, um, I, I don't know whether it was in that bit, but you, you talked about landing pages. Does Facebook um, penalize you at all for, for linking out of Facebook or does it prefer you to try and keep everything within uh, the sort of the native sort of Facebook options that you've got? Have you noticed any difference with that? I don't think they penalize you, but the, it's, a, it's a matter of friction. So Facebook also lets you run Facebook lead ads where basically you stay, the, 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 the patient stays within Facebook and they click on the, the call to action and there's, um, it pre-populates their name, their phone number and email address and then they just submit the details to you like that. Now, it's very easy to generate leads that way because it's low friction. People just have to tap their phone twice and you've got their phone number, email address and, and name. The problem is, that's sometimes too low friction. So by the time you get hold of the patients, they're going to forget that they did it. Maybe they were on a night out or whatever. And it sounded interesting at the time. So I don't think Facebook penalizes for sending people to external sites, but it, it helps you create a little bit more friction in a, in a way which is beneficial because if someone clicks and they have to go to an external site, the landing page, they then have to digest the information on there and then they have to actually key in their details. It means that they're slightly more motivated from the people who just click. And so again, uh, it's easier to run a lead, a lead gen campaign on Facebook because you don't have to go away and build a landing page. But again, that's why a lot of people have had bad experiences with Facebook ads because it's almost too easy for the people who submit their details and then you're going to get time wasters, people who aren't serious, people who are unresponsive. So it's about finding a balance. Yeah, I, um, I've used the lead pages uh, or the lead thingy within Facebook before and you do get a high number of people that you ring them and they go, I never did that. Yeah, exactly. I didn't submit my details. Who are you? Um, and yeah, I think you know the the, the sort of the, the phrase you know filter the crap out at the beginning. You know you don't want to get all these inquiries in. I mean, I did it the very first time I ever did an open day was a, a facial aesthetics one for Botox, and I did a, like a, a whole Facebook thing. I had about literally 150 people who said they were going to come that were attending. So I got like twelve or fifteen bottles of prosecco. I had all the, I, you know, I had the, you know, nobody booked a consultation because everyone said they were attending on Facebook, so they were coming. And, yeah, uh, you know, I had a plastic surgeon who was there doing a talk. I had all this set up, and like fifteen people turned up, which is actually quite good. Um, but that was over a three-hour period, and you know, we'd reserved the whole practice for all of these people, balloons and everything. And I was oh, like, no. I was like. <laughs> Oh shit! This is and you know this is slightly embarrassing um, because I was be imagining that the whole re reception area is going to be just full of full people, of people glasses of champagne. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was my kind of uh, very rude awakening to the ease in which people can just go, yeah, I'm coming, and then just forget and it fizzles out. But that's the thing. It's it's about friction, right? And the same goes versus like with deposits versus no deposits. I mean, we of course, if you don't take a refundable deposit for a face to face consultation, you're going to get more patients booked in, hands down. But then you're going to get FTAs. So it's all about friction. Marketing is all about friction, um, and so you want to have enough friction so that you filter people out, but then not too much so that you filter out people who maybe genuinely are interested but aren't just ready to take that that hit. And actually, that's why video consultations have been so interesting because. In a normal, under normal circumstances, if we generate 100 Facebook inquiries or Instagram inquiries with a landing page for something like an Invisalign consultation, depending on how good the practice is at following up with those leads, we'll see anywhere from about 20 to 40% of those in the dental chair. 
40% is definitely on the higher end. It's on average, it's between sort of 20 and 30%. So one in five people, one in four people end up with their, their bum in your dental chair. Now, fair enough. I mean, because, you know, you're asking someone who doesn't know you to take two hours out of their day, get into their car, struggle with parking, fill in medical history forms, and then talk to you about spending three and a half, four thousand pounds with you. To go from not knowing you to that is a, is a, is a big ask. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a healthy number. It's okay. With video consultations, of course, the friction is a lot lower. And so the, we're actually seeing out of 100 um, leads, we're seeing anywhere from about 60 to 80% of those um, book video consultations. So out of 100 leads, 60 to 80%, 60 to 80 will book in. And then, of course, with video consultations, it's harder to take a deposit. So you will get some FTAs, but the friction is a lot lower. People don't have to get into their car. They don't have to, they can literally squeeze it into a 30 minute lunch break if they're working from home. And so it's, for me, it's been a really, it's been a blessing out of all the crap that's happened in the last few months, because I think it's accelerated what was probably going to happen anyway at some point. And yeah, uh, people are comfortable in their own home. I mean, I, I don't know how many dental practices I've been to, but still, if I go for a scale and polish, my, my toes will, will curl up because I just, I don't like the, the, I know it's not drilling, but I don't like that. I just, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. So I'm sure lots of people have that, but if they're sitting in their own home and perhaps their kid comes into the screen and it's all a bit, it's very casual, it's very relaxed and they, people can really um, open up. So I think that's been a huge win uh, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And um, I think video consults are, are here to stay. Yeah, I've noticed that. I've noticed that the, the stepping stone to a video consult smaller and then the stepping stone, once you've built some rapport through to consult, uh, booked consult deposit paid is actually easier as well because and I'm, and I'm assuming that the actual conversion from there to treatment uptake is going to be lower because they already know the price within the video consult they've paid a deposit and they've chose after all of the information has been given you've had a bit of a chat they've decided yeah you know what I'm going to book in I'm going to pay the deposit I already know the potential price of this so really the the clinical element of it's just going to be confirmation just making sure that you know the whole clinical side and diagnosis yeah. a bit of it's done right um, well that's i mean that's why it's so interesting because like all of the non-clinical stuff you do it on this on this zoom call and it's it's just you know you really get to focus on the person whereas if you're trying to squeeze all of that into a 30 minute consult and maybe some clinical stuff as well and let's say you're overrunning and your next patient's come here early you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to you know build rapport with that person to break the ice uh to find out uncover their motivations get them talking about what they want. And you know what? Some people talk more than others. And so if they, maybe they need 45 minutes. Uh, and if you then have to say, sorry, you know what? My next patient is there. Then you lose a, you lose a potential case. So I, I think they're huge, to be honest. And I think the next level is that practices will get the treatment coordinators to do the video consults. And then, you know, of course, conversion rates will be lower, but it's way more scalable and surgery time can really be optimized. So you can maximize production, basically. Um, one last thing as well before we sort of start looking at, at wrapping up um, this has been awesome by the way um, you know the people that are listening it's to this are gonna, yeah they're going to really get some value from this um, you spoke about the ad copy you mentioned about the way that you phrase it you know don't say this don't say that you know what I've noticed a lot from dental practices because they'll come up on my news feed I mean there's one that's, ha uh, that's running at the moment that's reasonably close to me and if they're listening I, I hope they take this on board it is literally, it's a sponsored link, it's a paid for ad that literally just says, check out our new website. I oh, know. That's it. 
you know, I think I'm like, oh, I feel like commenting on there and going, guys, come on. Um, but yeah, I think it's important that people know that, you know, when, when someone looks for a dentist, they've got a problem they need solving. So if you're marketing, you need to be understanding what your position is or what your place is within, you know, that person's kind of mindset. They're thinking, right, can this person deal with the issue that I've got? You know, we're, we're marketing busy line. So we're looking to help someone with the smile, straightened teeth, where you need to word things correctly. You know, people don't buy dental implants. They replace missing teeth or, you know, get rid of a loose denture. They don't, nobody sort of wants implants. They want to get rid of something that they don't like or replace a tooth that's embarrassing. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a really important thing I just pulled out from what you said that I think people need to be aware of is, is look at the reason why patients would come to see them and market, market that market the solution yeah. to that problem no I, you're you're absolutely right and and it's an, it's a really interesting point because you know what it's really easy for us to focus on ourselves and why we're different to our competitors and you know to think about all the time and money and effort we spent in getting qualified and doing courses and training and our scanners all that stuff but then a lot of that isn't relevant to you know, for for a patient, and, and even I get this as well with, with specialist orthodontists, which, you know, I think specialist orthodontists is, is of course, a very respectable uh, path to go in the profession. But patients don't always necessarily understand the value between seeing a GDP who offers Invisalign and seeing a specialist orthodontist. And so sometimes it's hard to artic articulate that. And, and the specialist might say, but yeah, but I'm a specialist. Can we not communicate quality and this and that? And well, but then we always need to reframe it. How is this going to matter to the patient and of course we know it does but how do we articulate it in such a way that the patient understands the value around that because the chances are if you say specialist orthodontist they might not know and and so it's very easy to get caught up in what we do but actually we need to think from the patient's point of view um how we can solve their problems and that's that's what they're going to judge us on not on whether we have an itero or you know um, uh, a 10 grand website so so that's it's it's, it's huge actually um yeah for sure and um, so, you know, Pete, there's going to be a lot of people that, that, that want to find out more about you. So where, where do they find you? What's the name of, because we know we've not even said the name of your company yet. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so what's, you know, where, where enough, if, yeah. if people want to talk to you, you know, get in touch, find out what services you offer, where do they go? How do they contact you? No, that's a good question because, uh, I mean, not many people are named Derek anymore. I think the name went out of fashion a very long time ago. So, um, yeah. so that, that does help, but no, so my company's called Ignite Growth. Um, our website is absolutely atrocious. Uh, it's a one pager. It's a very basic website, which hopefully goes to show that we spend our time focused on Facebook and Instagram rather than websites. But the best place to find out more is really to follow me on Instagram. Um, it's Derek Ignite. So D-E-R-E-K and then Ignite, I-G-N-I-T-E. So that's my Instagram is really, I put a lot of what I hope is valuable content on there. And it's a great way to kind of get a feel for how we work, what we do, how we can help. And um, then from there, you know, people can reach out and, and, and find out more. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. Well, yeah, I really appreciate your time, Derek. Um, and you. Thank um, you so much. And yeah, your toddler maybe came in a little bit, but my two have managed to stay asleep through the whole well done. Well done. chat. So yeah, <laughs> perfect, perfect fatherhood. Anyway, so yeah, I appreciate your time, Derek. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll speak soon. And yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to listening. And I'm going to listen to the previous one you did as well with, because uh, you did one with Max and Grant, didn't you? So I haven't had the time yet, but I'm, I'm taking next week off. So I'm going to, 
uh, take my AirPods with me and just catch up on, on, on podcasts and reading and stuff like that. So I look forward to it. All right. Take care, buddy. Have a good one. Bye. See you later, mate.